0: Hello and welcome to episode number 251 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me today are Sherry Thomas, Aaron Satie, and Emma Berry. They are, along with Meredith Duran and J.A. Rock, who could not join us during the recording, the authors of five different novellas in an anthology called Sight Unseen. Sight Unseen was released on June 6th, and each novella inside is anonymous, as in you don't know which author wrote which story. Now, the authorship is going to be revealed in September. So if you're curious and you want to guess and you want to get in on the game, you can purchase this anthology at all major retailers. Each author was invited to, quote, write something that scared them, a subgenre they'd never written in before, characters or tropes that were over the top or underused, or a story they were told would not sell, end quote. That freedom and the anonymity of writing without their names created a unique experience for each of them, this is, of course, a bit of a tricky interview because I can't ask questions about the stories or about characters or about the plot or anything that might reveal who, writ, who wrote what. So our conversation covers the idea of branding and author names, marketing, how they each approached the project and what they learned through the experience. And of course, we talk about what they're reading. This podcast is brought to you by Need You Now by Nicole Helm. Perfect for fans of Jill Shalvis and Susan Mallory. Hot romance abounds in this first of the Mile High Romance series featuring the lives and loves of the hunky, flannel-clad Evans brothers and their best friend Sam Goodall as they lead Mile High Adventures, an outdoor guide company in the majestic Rocky Mountains. With this series, Nicole Helm is taking the term lumbersexual to a whole new level. At a time when clean-cut billionaires and businessmen reign supreme in contemporary romance, Need You Now stands out for the hero's willingness to get down and dirty. Need You Now pairs the hunky outdoorsman owner of Mile High Adventures with a hotshot PR rep who is decidedly anti-outdoors. Opposites attract, and Need You Now by Nicole Helm is ideal for readers who love sparks of attraction, humor, and down-to-earth charm. Need You Now is available now wherever books are sold and on kensingtonbooks.com. Thank you to Kensington for sponsoring this month, and also thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. If you would like to have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches, you will find ways to support the podcast by making monthly pledges beginning with $1 a month, and each one makes a massive difference in supporting the show and helping me keep it going with more gooder equipment and sound quality. I also want to tell you about our iTunes page at itunes.com dbsa, where you can find the most recent episodes and some of the books that we've spoken about. And of course, all the books that we talk about in this and every episode are at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. The music you are listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is. Thank you, as always, to Sassy Outwater for the excellent tunage. I also want to thank you if you have reviewed or liked or subscribed or shared the podcast. I am hearing from so many new listeners, and I think that that is all thanks to you for Reviewing the show, which helps feed it into algorithms for telling people about it, and for subscribing, which helps it become more discoverable in different podcast apps. Thank you for doing that. You are most awesome. Now, if you're curious about the Sight Unseen anthology, before we start the interview, I thought I would share a little bit about the different stories. One is paranormal. There's a fantasy. There's a contemporary. There's one that's an ex rocker, ex cult member. There's all sorts of different stories. So I thought I would read you one of the uh, descriptions lost that feeling and again we don't know who who wrote which but it's one of those five authors alma knew who she was once that is before she erased her memory with a spell some like the guards at the prison in which she's held say that she was a thief a murderer others say that she was a hero like driss the man who rescues her he claims to be a friend he's certainly handsome and charming in a word perfect that's the problem if he's perfect And she's a hero. How did she end up in prison with a seven-year hole in her memory to begin with? So somebody is probably making grabby hands, right? Okay. And this is the description of Free. Brad White would be an ordinary accountant with an unrequited crush, except for two things. He works for a criminal motorcycle club, and he's in love with the club president's daughter. When she discovers the truth about the family business, Brad has to move beyond ordinary and put his life on the line to keep her safe. Wren Masters, unlike everyone else in her graduating class, chose to stay in Montana because she loves it. But when she finds out her father's club is running drugs, her family and her world crumble. She and Brad risk everything to uncover the truth and begin a scorching affair. Are you curious? I hope so. It's now time to start the interview. We're going to begin with Sherry Thomas. On with
1: the podcast. I'm Sherry Thomas, and uh, I, um, it's been my goal to write everything I enjoy reading. So, uh, so far I've written, um, let's see, historical and contemporary romance, and erotic romance, uh, YA fantasy, and historical um, mystery. So uh, with this new anthology, Sight Unseen, I'm going to add a new subgenre to my repertoire, and I'm very excited about that.
0: That is very cool. All right. Emma, can you introduce yourself? And if you want to just reveal who you, what you wrote, I mean, that's totally fine.
2: <laughs> of course. Sorry. I've, I got confused with the order. So um, my name is Emma Berry, and I've written contemporary romances that are about political staffers. Um, and then I write a historical series, My Friend Genevieve Turner, which is set during the space race in the 1960s. And that's, that's,
0: a, that's a period that does not get a lot of coverage generally in, uh, in, in romance. That's very cool.
2: Yeah, there's like no mid century romance. It's very sad. (laughs) I I have this
0: theory that most genre names are far too broad and encompassing. Like, if I say contemporary romance, I could be talking about Debbie Maycomber and you could be talking about Emma Holly, and those are two totally different things. Yeah. Like, way different things. So, historical is the same, like 20th century, mid century, regency. Like, we need more specific genre names because you're right, there should totally be mid century. I happen to love the world war one world war two romances that are showing up yeah in and the, the 1920s
2: 60s. ones yeah oh
0: heck yes because everyone thinks that they invented sex right oh yeah <laughs> people <laughs> in the 20s they were doing some stuff
3: People <laughs> well, every time we're doing stuff
0: right totally erin can you introduce yourself
3: too uh, I'm Erin Satie. I write historical romances, mostly set in the early Victorian period, though I'm moving a whole decade forward to 1850 for my next series, which is oh been bigger than it sounds like. Uh-huh. Ten years. You're moving, you're moving
0: yeah. solidly to high Victorian. <laughs> so I have to apologize, Erin. I have been pronouncing your name wrong for like three years, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I yes, thought I
3: it was Satie. Part of the reason why I picked it is because no matter how you pronounce it, it still sounds good. So that was, that was
0: part of my theory. You know, that's actually a very strong theory.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Well done.
1: Enjoy.
3: Pronounce it how everything sounds best.
1: Great. Oh, I like this plan. I once had a um, blogger tell me she thought my name was really charming, and then it turned out she thought my name was Stella Thomas.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if you ever need a pen name, you have got one. I've got one. <laughs> that's awesome. That would be almost S- commencing is a trench coat or a pair of glasses oh right or, or like you put on like a fake mustache and suddenly no one recognizes you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I love that we've already started talking about um the genres that you write in because there's a lot and I am completely fascinated by this project um and I'll, I'll explain a little bit when I do the intro for the for the episode but could could you guys
2: describe the anthology from how you see it as authors well, one of the things that's interesting to me about it is the way that as writers, from the moment you start publishing work, you sort of got pigeonholed, unless you're Sherry and you write everything. <laughs> I think almost everyone else, you get you start writing a thing and that fits in with the pen name you pick and it fits in with how you brand your website and it, it fits in with how you talk about your work in relation to the other your other books. Um And it happens really fast. I mean, by the your second or third book, you have a niche, right? And it's really hard to break out of that for most people. And so what was cool about this project was not only the an anonymity of it and the sort of guessing game of it, but as a writer to be able to do something that I didn't have to worry about how I was going to market it and how it existed Um relative to my other books was just really cool kind of freedom, one that I hadn't had since before I was published.
0: And like you said, your author name very quickly becomes your brand. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, I I was trying to think while you were speaking, there are not that many authors who have really branched out solidly into different genres with the same name. they are always sort of overlap and related. Mm And more recently, like the only one I can think of who really went like very, very categorized under different names as Nora Roberts because you have the Paranoras and yeah. then you have the Contemporary Noras and then you have the Suspense Noras. And once you figure out which is which, you know which ones you like. But it must be very challenging to write while thinking does this fit with my brand?
1: Yeah. Uh, uh if you worried about your brand. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry's like
0: no shit's given about my brand. <laughs> Here, I'm going to write what I want and you're going to like it. <laughs> Sherry, was this particularly challenging? Because you've just made a big shift into a different genre. And I was reading in some of the press materials for Sight Unseen that you were really excited to return to romance.
1: Oh, yeah. I, um, the the, the, major, the major appeal this gave me was um, deadlines. Because um, I, I don't know what I've said to you personally. Or um, that there are things I would do for deadlines that I would not do for love or money. <laughs> um, so um so as somebody who's uh actually how Judith pitched this, uh how she pitched to me, I don't know whether that's how she pitched to you guys also. She asked basically, is there anything that I am afraid to write? And my answer is the only thing I'm afraid to write is horror, and that's because I'm afraid to read it. So that it's <laughs> it's not like uh, you know, I'm blocked from writing it, I just don't know enough about the genre to write it. Um Nothing, I'm not afraid to write anything else, but what happens is you have a lot of these side projects sitting on your hard drive, and, um, and you have projects that pay and projects that are speculative.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And being a professional writer, you always go with what pays first. Obviously. Obviously, <laughs> because you still want to um, eat. Um, and so then it becomes a problem of time allocation. How much time do you want to allocate to a project that doesn't have, you know, either a ton of monetary prospects or um, or anybody waiting on the other side. Yeah. So um, just by Judith coming and basically asking, have you got anything strange? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yes, I've got something weird. <laughs> Not too weird. It's just a little bit, you know, off-kilter, which I think a lot of stuff I right. is slightly off-kilter. It's just that they are like... Uh, they may be off kilter, but they fit into some broader category. Um, so um, so I was like, yeah, this, 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 I, I do have something that I've been working on. It's got 8,000 uh, 8, words, and I think it's gonna be a novella about 30K. Um, if you want it, then I'll start working on it. So, what this project did for me is it gave me a deadline. And it's not difficult at all. I mean, it's no more difficult than writing anything else. The difficulty is intrinsic in telling the story well. It's not, um, yeah, brand, what's that? <laughs>
0: So for you, the structural elements are what focuses you, and then the deadline and the expectation of someone else waiting on it yeah, is exactly. what gives you motivation to get to work. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that makes total sense to me because if I want to get something done, I have to give myself a deadline, and I have decided that my calendar is my authority. If it's on the calendar, it gets done. If it needs to get done, it goes on the calendar, and if it's on the calendar, then you know it, the expectation is there, and I have to finish it it's a lot harder when you know that that expectation is an actual other person. Yes. Yes. Who's like, uh, hello, Aaron, what about you? How did, how, how, excuse me, how did you, um, first hear about this project and how did, how, how were you approached?
2: I think
3: that Emma mentioned it on Twitter and I was so excited by the idea that later, she must have brought it up as a possibility because I just thought the concept was amazing. I thought it would be really fun to read the book and, and do the guessing. Um, when I was picking what to write, it was more just uh, something like what Sherry said. Uh, if you're looking, if you want to write something totally have no idea if people are going to like it, if people are not going to like it, you want to have like an, an excuse or like an opening. Somebody was going to open a door for you and be like, go ahead, do this thing that you've wanted to do for a while, that haven't been able to justify.
0: And it's the fact that you're supposed to guess the different writers means that you can do pretty much whatever you think the story needs because it's almost like writing writing anonymously. Well, it yes. is writing anonymously. I think well, for the yes. moment, at least. But, the
1: further but we go, go three from, months, our,
3: yeah. from our brand, the more likely we are to be guessed wrong. So to that extent, the anonymous nature and the fact that we're all trying new things, they uh, coincide nicely.
0: I think. Mm -hmm. And you have the option to just sort of explore whatever it is that you're writing. Um, I'm wondering, is this sort of like the, uh, the the way the the catnip for writers, we want you to write something that scares you that you haven't that you haven't been working on, you can write whatever you want. Like, is this, uh, is, is this writer catnip?
2: I think there are gonna be readers who love the concept and enjoy the game. And then I think there are going to be readers who are like, No, I just wanna read the Sherry Thomas story. Tell me which one is the Sherry Thomas story. <laughs> and so I think it's gonna really depend on 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 that. And again, it the pieces are also strange for us. Like it's it's not the things we normally write. And I there are definitely, you know, there are people who just like the Nora contemporaries and don't like the Nora paranormals, as you said, Sarah. And so I think it also that, that that question is is raised, but I think it also raises the question, why do we enjoy books and like for if you have an auto auto by author, what is it about that voice or about that world that the mm-hmm. author writes in that's compelling to you, and if you don't know who wrote what, can you make sense out of it and so I think it also raises these kinds of existential questions about why we read and what we like and um just kind of process questions when you don't know when you're kind of dropped into these strange stories without a map to tell you what it means you know totally mm-hmm. sherry
1: oh i was just gonna say i love her use of existential i never know how to use that correctly in a sentence <laughs> <laughs> actually even if it's used incorrectly i can't tell <laughs> <laughs> i just love that used at all well it occurs to me that
0: this project for you is almost like the uh the wrapped up anonymous books that libraries and bookstores uh, we'll we'll put out where they wrap a book inside brown paper and give you just the genre and the conflict and not don't tell you who or what it is. Only in this case is when you open it up you find out what the book is and what the author is. Here you remain without without that knowledge until is it September that your names are going to be really revealed? Mhm. Uh-huh, mhm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think so. So so you got to read each other's stories, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So Erin. I, I'm trying very hard here to concoct questions that don't invite you to answer with specifics about your stories because I really don't want you to, to give it away as much as I joke about it. So, with this, with the stories that you read when you were looking at the stories, could you did did you know who wrote what? And if you and if you didn't know, could you tell who wrote what?
3: So that's the funny part. I had a really long discussion with Emma in particular about this because I did know we all had exchanged summaries early on so I knew who had written which one however I kept thinking that I could tell like I kept being like oh there's like the definitive clue the answers the puzzle for anybody who could see it and I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's just because I knew like I'm pretty sure that I, I was making up my own cleverness and figuring it out but if your hindsight is so you know-
0: Oh, of course, of course. Sherry, what about you? When you were reading the different stories, what struck you?
1: I was thinking that I remember reading Meredith's story. And I remember like, if I squinted sideways really hard, I can see it in the way she describes in, in in her use of language, but only if I was squinting really hard and knowing that it was
0: her. So the knowledge of the author name helped you put together the writing no
1: no because I, a, I, I knew what she, which piece she was writing already, of course, going oh. in, yeah, but if I didn't know, then really it, so this this is this is kind of like this is kind of like the um the, the the literary version of you know the the romance trope that uh I mean, it's basically the Cinderella trope, right uh, you don't mm-hmm. recognize uh, her unless she's got that big big dress on and and follow the glass flipper and like oh yeah 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 exactly it's true it's true you cannot recognize them without the big poofy ball gown of their author name yeah
0: I've never heard author names compared to ball gowns but you are totally (laughs) right about that you are totally right so you're disguising the identity and you're you're also each writing something that is outside of outside of what you normally write is that correct right Yeah.
1: yeah And it turns out to be amazingly easy to, you know, take off that bell and be uh, basically anonymous.
0: I just did a, a podcast interview with Meg Tilly, the actress who writes as Sarah Flynn. And she was talking about how she could not conceive of possibly publishing her, her romance, her romantic suspense, until she picked a pen name and no one knew that it was Meg Tilly. And she said, once Meg Tilly was out of the way, I was free to go. It was great. I'm curious for you, and I'm, and I'm really trying to concoct questions that don't, like invite you to give away anything although i imagine that you're much more skilled at not giving this away than i am because you've been working on this for a while what about the stories that you were writing were were the most enjoyable and fun parts of it is there anything that you can talk about in the story that you wrote that you really enjoy and are are excited about or is that just too much detail
3: um for me there was a palate cleanser aspect to it you know where um and it makes the next course of whatever you're planning to write that much more enjoyable because you have the chance to sort of like clear it out, like do something totally different. And like, it's, it's very refreshing sort of just by its nature, I would say.
0: <laughs> this is a hard question to answer. I apologize. Sherry, what about you?
1: Um, my favorite part was actually writing the romance because uh, um, it's been a couple of years since I wrote a flat out romance. And, uh, and I, yeah, obviously what, uh, Wait, was that Erin who just said about the palate cleanser aspect? Yeah, that was me. Or, or was it Emma? No, it was Erin. Okay. Um, so yeah, the palate cleanser aspect is always there. Um, but uh, yeah, I I haven't written a flat-out romance in a couple years. And this just reminded me how much I love writing romance. And now I'm even thinking, hmm, maybe I should like seriously, seriously start working on historical romance. But then it's, it's always the, the, the plot aspects that I'm um, going like, hmm, my, your, last, your last original romance that you didn't pull out from under your bed had an um, amnesia plot. So have you got a better plot than that now? <laughs> <laughs> At the moment, <laughs> still no. So I have the characters, I have the setup, I have the internal conflict, but I'm in search of a plot. Um, so now I'm getting like actually really excited about um, writing another romance.
0: I will say that for me, my favorite romances are ones wherein the internal conflict is most of the plot, but I am incredibly selfish um, when it comes to the things that I like in my reading. So I cannot obviously be so presumptuous to tell you what to write, but I will say internal conflict makes for a great read, in my opinion.
1: Internal conflict makes for a great read, but um, a book with only internal conflict tend not to hold up structurally very well. That's the only problem. You make a good point. Well, I mean, I
0: confess like any other person, I looked at the descriptions of the different stories and was immediately thinking, okay, which is which, which one is which I can, I bet. No, that's not it. Were there any tropes or conflicts or things that you really wanted to include in your story and then thought, oh, no, 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 that's way too close. That's way too close to what I, to what i usually write. Were there any things where you steered yourself away?
3: I think in retrospect, you probably could backward engineer some of the stories through some of the tropes. I mean, for me, I'd say the answer is no.
0: So you, you, did, you did not steer away from anything that you might, you, you might think was too identifiable.
3: No, no. And I can think of elements that would be that would be real giveaways if, if somebody knew what to look for. But who knows if they will.
0: Yes, but you, you know your tricks. Exactly. So there's no character who's brewing ink in your story.
3: Alas, no. <laughs> Which is a shame because there's never enough ink or fanaticism in the world.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. There needs to be more ink and pen porn. Sherry, what about you? Was there anything that you were like, nope, nope, can't do that?
1: Um, no, no, no. <laughs> I think I've established that uh, particular side of my personality. <laughs> so, yeah, you
0: generally just have no shits to give. like, nope, yeah, uh, I'm going to do what I want. Which is
1: pretty awesome. A, it's it's probably obliviousness rather than anything else, but <laughs> it ends up being... Uh, yeah. <laughs> So with
0: this project, are you inspired to do another one like this? If there's another one, would you do this again?
1: Um, I imagine if, I think if it does well, Judith would definitely want to uh, do it again, but she'll probably want to branch out with uh, different authors. But if I'm invited back, you betcha. Yeah, Mm -hmm. this was so much
3: fun. It's a pretty neat project. I also just really like the the fact that she's trying something new, and I really like the, I like the experimentation involved. I like the play, so really
1: neat yeah like what Emma said at the very beginning it doesn't happen it it doesn't happen that people actually come to you and ask for something different they usually want the same mm-hmm. different but the same yeah.
0: yeah that's very true consistency is usually what people are looking for in terms of what to sell or buy next
1: right and you can't blame them can't blame them like mm-hmm. you know it's it's what we go out to restaurants for and it's you know it's what you know what you like and I know what I like and and you know, also kudos to readers. I'm really grateful to any readers who are willing to take this on because um, because this kind of mystery meat stuff is like not not typically something that I would volunteer for immediately. Mm. <laughs> I
3: know when I first <laughs> announced it to my readers, I sent out a newsletter that was a half apology, like I'm really sorry, but this was just so much fun, I couldn't resist. So hope you'll. So <laughs> I wrote
0: something, but I'm not telling you what I what it is. Yeah it's one of these I've narrowed it down um, when it comes time to reveal who wrote what do you guys have any plans for how you're going to, um, how you're going to let everyone know who wrote what <laughs> there going to be a sweepstakes if you guess correctly <laughs>
2: you and a trip to the idea. Regency. I want to for sure <laughs> a great idea
1: yeah I, I think I think I want to do I want them to do kind of like a, 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 a miniature March Madness thing in that they actually put out their guesses all of them mm-hmm you know, I think and the see story goes with, and, and who and no and, and 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 see who comes closest, who gets everybody yeah. right. Yeah, and maybe maybe have like a uh, a drawing of those who got everything right.
0: And it's so interesting to me because this project couldn't happen without the internet and right? without the connectivity between authors and readers because how else would you collect all this information? How else would you spread the word that this is, um, you know, a sort of an adventure project where you get the story, but you don't know who wrote it. You just know these are the names included. This can't really work without the the connectivity of being able to say, okay, here's what we're doing. Give it a try. And then we want you to guess and let us know who it is.
2: Can you guys hear me now? I can. I can totally hear you. Yes. Welcome back. Fantastic! Yay! All I had to do was unplug my microphone and plug it back in. Isn't it amazing when that works? Um, well, I wanted to say like there is actually some precedents for this that are like 19th century. Like no way! Tell me all about them. Yes. So like in so Louisa May Alcott's publisher, Roberts Brothers, put together a series in the 1870s and 1880s called the No Name series, which were books published without names on them. And she wrote a novel for that series called Modern Mephistopheles, which was really, really different and was a kind of palate cleanser from Little Women. Um, and then there was one that Erin and I were talking about on Twitter a few weeks ago that I heard about on NPR because I'm such a dork. Um, but there was a, a concert in Paris in about 1910 where the works were presented anonymously. So there have been some precedents for this. Uh, but I agree with you that the internet definitely makes it more fun and adds to that like guessing game. But I think there have been some of these kind of what can you do when you don't have to tell people it's yours examples in the past.
0: That is fascinating. I had no idea.
1: Yeah, I believe Judith did mention those uh, when she uh, pitched the project to me. Although I have to say in this day and age, if it didn't happen in the last 10 years, given how short our memories are, it might as well never <laughs> happen at all. <laughs> well, if it didn't happen this morning, it might have not have happened at all. Well, like I said, when
0: we, were start, when we started, you know, we, we all think we invented everything. I stand completely corrected. That's so cool. It's, it's, also, it's also illustrative that, you know, you, as, a, as a writer, when you're building your career, you work so hard to make your name a known entity. And, and with projects like these, you're taking the thing that you've built and the, the name that you have completely out of the equation at all. So you it, it, you're erasing a part of what you, part of what you're supposed to be building. You take out for a little while. It's it's very clever.
3: I like the ephemeral nature of the collection. Like it's the, the story, there's something in a brief moment when nobody knows, and that's really neat. Like it it happens, it starts, and then it ends. And like a year from now, nobody ever gets to be guessing. Like the, the guessing thing actually yes. is completely limited in time, which is strange with books, which are. More permanent in
2: nature. Mm-hmm. Yes,
0: I remember. Right. Um, I remember learning, and I want to say it was from Bill Bryson, but that the um, the idea of the MP3 was partially based on watching Star Trek and watching Data have all of his music with him all the time, and how do you compress music into a tiny, tiny file that you can always have whereas a few hundred years ago unless you heard music as it was being played there was no way to preserve it so hearing music only happened when it was being played you could look at the you could look at a piece of music on paper but that wasn't the same as hearing it and only it only existed while it was being played it has this ephemeral quality and you're right the experience of no one knowing is a very limited experience that makes it that makes it much more alluring in a way like okay i have to be part of this game i want to be part of this challenge i want to figure this out seriously there needs to be like a sweepstakes where someone gets to go like back or forward in time or something if they win
1: <laughs> yeah as soon as i'm done with this podcast i'm like putting the final touches on our time machine
0: fabulous <laughs> i'm sure it's very well appointed ink pens you know all the good things
1: with a duke inside yeah already
0: yeah a duke <laughs> We're, we're Look, we're, we're approaching a Duke shortage. We're running out. <laughs> so now that you've done this project, are there ideas that are starting to percolate in your brain where you're like, oh, well, that's a new direction. Has this has this grown in uh, your imagination in any strange
2: ways? Well, in some ways I did the project because the half the thing was sitting on my hard drive and I didn't know what to do with it, but I also didn't want to write a whole series in this world. So I was like... But now that it's done, I don't know. I guess it will depend on how people react to it, and and like once I get to talk about it, maybe that will make me want to write more um, in the world, write more sequels, or just write more stuff that's strange, that's weird, that's a risk.
0: Which makes it which makes it exciting. It's like okay, this is this is not familiar to me. This is, yeah, and- this is new muscle development.
2: And maybe it also will show that like my brand is bigger than I think it is and that I can take more risks and that people will still read them and like them or just at least like go on that journey with me. So maybe maybe it's a, a growth experience, like maybe my voice is bigger than I thought it was. That's a very cool way to think about it.
0: Erin, has this stretched your imagination in, in, in new ways at all? Yeah, I would
3: really love to keep writing, um, but... Like Emma, I want to see a little bit how how the response is, but I had a fantastic idea, or at least it's fantastic to me so so if I get enough encouragement, I'll probably run with it.
2: I have heard the idea, and it is fantastic <laughs> <laughs> Sherry, what about you?
1: um I don't know I mean um it's not as if i wasn't uh it's not as if I'd been limiting myself to any one thing no <laughs> one no six. no um yeah this. This feels like a standalone project, just because of its nature. Some stories, I think, are standalone, um, but uh, but I'm definitely working on getting myself other deadlines. Uh, you know, um, so and and I've always felt a kind of faith in the subconscious, in that the story um, sometimes tells itself. Uh, Not that doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean I sit down and anything pours out. It just means after much toil and blood and sweat, uh, somehow it Uh, it comes together. Um, And this is one of the stories that um, I sat down with a premise and a plot, but I had no idea where it was all going to end up. And I kind of like where it ended up. um, um, So it just kind of reaffirmed my faith in the storytelling process in in a very nice manner.
0: It sounds like all of you very much enjoyed writing, and that you enjoy writing generally. Did, was this project different from other things you've
1: worked on? Oh, it's definitely different. But uh, as I always say, it's um, it's always the the storytelling part that
2: I find most challenging. Everything right. else is kind of um, uh, peripheral. It was different because we could I, we couldn't talk about it while we were working on it. I mean, I think. I often will sort of tease things on Twitter or Facebook, you know, I'm working on this and this is what's hard or here's like a song I was listening to while I was writing today and I, we couldn't do any of that, you know, like the Pinterest <laughs> board for the book has to be like secret, right? And so like I think the that public aspect of my writing, I didn't have that part and I guess I didn't realize how big a part of my writing it was to be able to, to ha- be working on this thing and not to be able to talk about it at all was – kind of discombobulating.
0: Uh-huh. I haven't even thought about that part about how you're right, how much of the process is part of the um almost like the process is part of marketing. This is what it's, I'm working on, this is what I'm doing.
2: It definitely is is part of marketing and, and and that whole aspect is gone. And then also like how do you market it? Like Aaron and I were talking about writing blog posts for this for the launch of the book and being like, how do you write a blog post to promote a book when you can't say anything about your story? It's so, it's just very strange, in a good way, but strange.
0: Oh, it was really hard to develop questions for this interview. Like, yeah, can't, ask can't ask that, can't ask about character, can't ask about conflict. Nope, 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 nope. Like I had to really think about how to ask you to talk about something you can't talk about. It's like It's like we're circling around a very, very large pit we can't fall I in can sherry like,
3: how can we talk about other people's I, stories without leaving the hole in the middle of our own is because it's really easy to be like i loved like emma's story and sherry's story i'd love to tell you why but i can't even do that i can't do that
1: <laughs> <laughs> and sherry what I, did you want I, to add i i just realized i haven't lived because um the first time anybody sees my story is usually when i upload an excerpt on my um website i've never um i've never done a pinterest board never uh never shared tidbits as i was writing i'm
2: maybe i should rethink my life <laughs> <laughs> no not at all it's probably better without it <laughs> i i um
0: i have found that whenever i see people tweeting i'm writing this is what i'm working on my my instinct is oh my gosh, why are you telling people? You can't tell people if you're writing about something because I can't share anything I'm working on until it's done. I'm just way too reticent and my instinct is be like, no, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Bad idea, Janes. So I, I'm like, wow, you know, I, I, it never would have occurred to me to talk about what I'm writing while I'm writing it. But then if you do that and suddenly you can't, it's like, oh, well, I'm alone in this, in this pit of silence. Ugh, what do I do? You could only really talk to each other.
2: Yes, and Erin and I—the week that we got the um, the advance reader copies—we were exchanging all these direct messages about them because we couldn't talk with anyone else about the story. So that was <laughs> a lot of fun.
0: We are spies in this project.
2: Just <laughs> a squeeing.
3: Like I was so excited. I can't. I don't know. I could only tell her. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Isolated squee is not as is not always as satisfying. Are Definitely. you guys? Are you all excited to share this? Are you excited for people to discover the other stories in the, in the anthology? Because it sounds like you all like each other's stories as well.
1: Oh yes. Uh, we are completely excited for, um, for the reading experience. I mean, maybe it may be wacky and discombobulating, because I really think for a reader coming in, even if reader familiar with our works, there's just not enough, not enough landmarks to like truly orient themselves so they really are going into a blind and it really is a mystery meat treat (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it should be very interesting
0: is there anything that you would like readers or listeners to know about the anthology that i haven't asked about like i said it was very challenging to write questions for this interview because i obviously i can't ask you uh well tell me about your story is there anything that you would like um, listeners to know?
2: The pieces are really, really different. And so I would say, like, it may not... I don't think it's an anthology you can sit down and read, like, from front to back in one sitting. I think that oh, would that's be... Interesting. I think it would make you feel confused, just because they're really different. Like, I was comparing it when I was talking to someone the other day to the... Um, The Gambled Away anthology, which came out about a year ago, and those were all those historical romances that had gambling themes. And even though they were set in really different places and the writing was really different, there was like enough continuity that I felt like it held together like as a cohesive collection. And this is like kind of the opposite of that. And so I do think um, people may want to take like a hard reset between each story, like read one, read the next one the next day. Like I think if you just sit down and try to read it from cover to cover, um, you may just be like... That was, like, a grab bag of fantastic romances. But, like, genre-wise, they're so different. So I would say, like, maybe, like, pause and have a tea between, like, eat all five of them. Because they're really, really, voice-wise, genre-wise, really different.
1: Whereas I would say... Yeah, it that would be like, be, be, like, eating steak and donut at the same time if you keep reading them, like, one after another. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is the that is one of the best reading analogies i've heard in a while it'll be like yeah, yes. steak
1: I mean, donut. yeah exactly it's like steak is wonderful donuts are wonderful but you know like you know at least, at least have like a 10 minute break between them
2: <laughs> yeah although I, i'm the opposite
1: for me this is the,
3: as close as i've come to a single book that imitates my actual way of reading because i really mm-hmm. like like a ton of variety like i'll read one thing and then immediately switch to whatever is opposite um mm-hmm. So it's like it's the first time I've had. I normally mm-hmm. don't like wind bellas even. I think maybe that was part of why I like this one so much because I wasn't, because they were switching so much. It was made me. It was my happy place, personally, very close to what I like to do.
0: That's very cool. So I always ask, and I and I warned you in advance about this question. I always ask what you're reading that you want to recommend. So aside from this anthology, obviously, <laughs> um, what, do you each have a recommendation that you would like to to share? Or any a book that you just want people to know about it does not have to be a romance. It could be anything you like.
2: Emma, do you want to go first? Sure. Um. Well, I guess like Aaron, my my reading is a little bit uh, eclectic. So at the moment, I'm reading um. Because, because I'm writing this series, it's about astronauts. Um, I'm reading Mike Collins' autobiography, Carrying the Fire, um, which Genevieve Turner recommended because all the astronaut books, all of them wrote books and um, most of them are abjectly terrible. Um, but Collins is a really good, he's actually like a really good writer and he wrote it himself. He didn't have a ghost writer. Um, and it's funny and self-deprecating and most of the astronaut books are like serious and there's like no humor and they just want to tell you how amazing they are. And they were amazing, but like, um, this one is like filled with hilarious details. Like the fact that they got a per diem when they went on missions, it was $8 a day, by the way. Um, and so it's just like filled with these kind of funny little more personal, um, stories. I've been enjoying that. And then I have a couple of romances I'm reading knit one girl two by shera Glassman, which is great and very, very funny and adorable. And if you're looking for like, a, like h- mug of hot cocoa in a book. I would highly, highly recommend it.
0: That is seriously cool. I'm writing this down. Erin, do you have a book you
3: want to recommend?
2: Um, yeah, I opened up my Goodreads, so I'd be super
3: ready to answer this question. Um, I just finished the <laughs> Court of um, Thorns and Zim Roses trilogy, which is not necessarily my usual, but I devoured the whole thing. And it's a little bit like the side unseen books. And so far as the things that make it interesting are so spoilery, they're impossible to discuss. Um, I ended up liking it a lot more than I thought I would. I'm reading right now, here's a fun one. It's, um, I'm reading Team of Rivals, and I'm reading at the same time as I'm reading An Extraordinary Union by Alyssa Cole, which is actually a really fun pairing because one is about, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln, like it's a history book, and then I get a romance novel that has the same setting but a happy ending, which obviously the Abraham Lincoln book won't. So it was nicely to get.
0: Just a bit. Are you liking An Extraordinary Union?
3: liking it a lot um unlike you i really like a lot of plot in my romances and so it's like there's tons of stuff going on so i'm very very (laughs) much
0: enjoying it it's not that i that i dislike plot i'm a fan but i also adore internal conflict and sometimes feel like that that part is not as much as i would like it's like having a cupcake with a really good filling um (laughs) I like a lot of icing inside and on top with the cake. So the cake is the plot. I like I like a good dose of Hostess cream filling in the middle, which sounds super gross now that I've said that out loud and I am gonna stop talking.
3: <laughs> it's true that plot does not like a good substitute for change or internal conflict. And I think a lot of people don't, or it seems sometimes that people, people miss that, that just having a hard time does not mean you're actually changing, growing or struggling. Yes, like, thank you, that is exactly it.
0: That is exactly what I'm what I was trying to say with my somewhat gross cupcake analogy yes <laughs> having things happen to you does not necessarily equal growth yeah that is definitely true Thank you um, save me from expressing myself badly you should be a writer Sherry, what about you is there anything that you're
1: reading that you want to talk about um, yeah um, I was recently on a um, sci-fi kick um, and uh, I heard a about Station Eleven. There's this book called Station Eleven a long time ago from a, a writer friend, and but it was only recently that I got to it, and I really, really enjoy it. It's it's normally I don't I don't do post apocalyptic, but this one is done very differently, and uh, it's it's about this. Um, well, part of it is about this uh, traveling um, Shakespearean troupe, like post apocalypse. It's like that's something new, and basically their model is survival is not enough. So they go around to those little towns and perform Shakespeare and symphony and and all that stuff and and that is just a whole new different way of looking at life post-apocalypse and uh, it's it's really beautifully written and it's about beauty and hope so that again makes it very different it's like the 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 antithesis of World War Z but I love them both um, and I read Station Eleven a few years ago and I still think of it it's really good. Yeah, it's really, really beautiful. And I also recently read, um, listened to a book called Sous Chef. Um, I love, uh, I love these kind of culinary anthropology kind of books. And uh, Sous Chef is basically about twenty four hours uh, in the uh, in the life of uh, actual sous chef, and it takes you backstage in the kitchen like no other book I've read. Uh, not even like Kitchen Confidential um wow and, yeah I was yeah. say
0: you really don't get the sous chef point of view you usually I know get the and, point of and, view. and
1: and it was it was it was really well written and it's like completely make the kitchen come alive and and normally I listen to uh audiobooks while doing other things this this I keep finding myself pausing the audiobook because it's so information rich that if I you know and go absent minded for a minute like getting my car out of the drive I miss something um so uh So I've always wanted to write something contemporary with cooking, and I was like, wow, I'm going to buy this book uh, in paper, so that's become my research volume. Um, But it's just fascinating reading on its own. And as for romance, I recently discovered Alicia Wright. I know I'm late to the, I'm always late to the discovery, but (laughs) (laughs) I've been really enjoying her. Have you read uh, Hate to Want You? No, not yet. I am, uh, I am doing uh, a gentleman in the street right now.
0: That book is seriously kind of hot.
1: I I like my romances hot. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent.
0: That was not a warning. That was just no, a statement. No, that, that, that,
1: that, <laughs> that, that, that that's a high five, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Well, well, well chosen. Good choice.
1: <laughs> but okay, hate to want you. Okay, I will put that on my list. Yep.
0: That's the first book in her new series with Avon. It's about two rival families um, who had a huge falling out and now hate each other. And, of course, the children are all going to, you know, hook up because that's how that rolls. It never works out in romance. Life. Ah.
1: Oh, it's Romeo and Juliet with sex. Hey.
0: <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a grocery store chain. They used to co-own a, an upscale grocery chain.
1: Oh, it's a Whole Foods oh. romance then. It's, yeah, it's, Whole <laughs> Foods, it's, it's
0: Whole Foods, Romeo and Juliet. She she her elevator pitch I think was um, Romeo and Juliet meets Hotline Bling without suicide and all that sexism. Mm. <laughs> but but Whole Foods Romeo and Juliet is also a really good elevator pitch now that I think about it. <laughs> And that is all for this week's episode. I want to thank Emma and Erin and Sherry for joining me across many time zones to make this interview happen. I will have information about Sight Unseen and the other books that they mentioned in the podcast entry at smartbitches slash podcast. And speaking of podcasts, this one right here was brought to you by Need You Now by Nicole Helm. Perfect for fans of Jill Shalvis and Susan Mallory, Hot Romance Abounds in this first of the Mile High Romance series – featuring the lives and loves of the hunky flannel-clad Evans brothers and their best friend Sam Goodall as they lead Mile High Adventures, an outdoor guide company in the majestic Rocky Mountains. With this series, Nicole Helm is taking the term lumbersexual to a whole new level. At a time when clean-cut billionaires and businessmen reign supreme in contemporary romance, Need You Now stands out for the hero's willingness to get down and dirty. Need You Now pairs the hunky outdoorsman owner of Mile High Adventures with the hotshot PR rep who is decidedly anti-outdoors. Opposites Attract and Need You Now by Nicole Helm is ideal for readers who love sparks of attraction, humor, and down-to-earth charm. Need You Now is available wherever books are sold and on kensingtonbooks.com. And big thanks to Kensington for sponsoring the show this month. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. I am still making my way through the fun that is the two-album set from Caravan Palace. This track is called New Bop, and you can find the two-album set, which includes Caravan Palace and Panic, on Amazon, Amazon, or iTunes. I love when I do that accidentally. Amazon and iTunes, or Amazon and iTunes, whichever you prefer, but that's where it is. and I will have a link to both the podcast entry well I just delight myself <laughs> I want to thank you for listening to the podcast especially if you've listened this far and listened to me make mistakes <laughs> I also want to thank you for subscribing, for reviewing, for telling people about the podcast and for having a look at our Patreon page at patreon.com smartbitches the community of people who listen and correspond with me about the podcast are lovely so thank you for being among them and I really appreciate it I will be back next week with more discussion about romance novels and fiction and travel and true crime and all of these other things because I have a lot of fun interviews to edit in the weeks ahead. On behalf of Sherry Thomas and Emma Berry and Meredith Duran, J.A. Rock and Aaron Satie and everyone here, including Wilbur who's clawing at a box while I record. Thanks, dude. I want to wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend.